0: Welcome and thank you for joining us today for There is a Hope, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Mark Howard, pastor of Christ Community Church in Bells, Tennessee. These next few minutes could very well be a divine appointment the Lord has for your life as you hear what He has to say to you personally and as you trust in the hope that He offers to you in Jesus Christ. And now, let's join Dr. Howard as he shares God's Word with us today.
1: And let's start out today with a verse of scripture that could help you to see where the word of God ought to be dwelling at all times. And I'll read it from Colossians chapter 3 and verse 16. By the way, my name is Mark Howard, and I want to welcome you today to another episode of There's a Hope podcast. I'm going to be truthful, honest with you. This podcast is a time of us calling our hearts together to get into the Word of God to see what the Word has to say to us today. Here's a for instance. If you're wondering where you ought to keep the Word of God, let the Word of Christ dwell in you richly in all wisdom. Now we get from the word dwell our English word house. Our house becomes a dwelling place. And that's what the Spirit of God says to us, where the Word of God ought to find its most intimate place in our lives, in us. Let it dwell in you richly. In your heart, in your mind, that means let it dwell in you to where it's abundantly abounding in your life. No better place. Colossians 3.16. You might want to mark that verse, spend some time with it this week, and see where that special place ought to be with God's Word. Now, here we are in John 15, where I am just absolutely amazed at how upfront, close, and personal Jesus wanted to be with these 11 disciples of his before he was about to go to the cross. He opened up his heart, poured himself out to these guys in these remaining hours, and he's talking to them about how he wants them to abide in him. I mean, he wants to get as close to them as they will allow him. But it's not just for them. It's for you. It's for me. It's for every believer. It just grabs my heart some days to think that the Lord really wants a personal relationship with me. And the deeper I get into my walk with him, I'm finding that to be true. Some days it's overwhelming just how much he is interested in me and how much he is interested in you and how much he has to share with us so we're going to be in john 15 and we're going to start moving forward just a little bit quicker there's been so much to cover here's just a quick review and maybe a few little new things that we need to be aware of as we go through these verses i'll start out in verse one and we'll continue on where jesus said i am the true vine now if you're just joining us We have been in this study for a number of weeks, and whatever social media site that you're listening to this podcast on, you can retrace our steps of what we've been learning. But these are the final words that Jesus was leaving with his disciples before he went to the cross, and this is the first time he had ever made a statement like this to them that we have recorded. I am the true vine. What was he doing there? He was defining and declaring to them who he was. I mean, he was saying to them at that moment, this is who I am, guys, and this is who I want to be to you. I'm the true vine. You see, he wanted them connected to him. He didn't want them going looking anywhere else for something to connect to. But I really believe in my heart that as they left the upper room and they headed over toward the garden, that Jesus was really saying to them through this teaching that we're going through right now, he was saying to them, I need your full undivided attention, I need you to come and begin to abide in me as I'm going to abide in you because I've got a purpose for your life. And he was going to reveal that purpose to them as they were making their walk over to the garden. Think about it. I want your full, undivided attention. I was reading this past week where Oswald Chambers said the reason some of us are such poor specimens of Christianity is because there is no abandonment to Jesus Christ in our lives abandonment to Jesus Christ. That's what Jesus was wanting from these men. You say, what do you mean by abandonment? Well, when you think of the word abandonment, it just basically means an act of giving up control, of yielding. Now, I'm not making this definition up. I'm going to read it as I read it, and it amazed me when I read the definition of abandonment. Yielding to an external, not internal, but an external or spiritual force. Think about that. That was in the dictionary. That's what the word abandonment means. Yielding to an external or a spiritual force. I mean, if you abandon something, you give up the control of something. You forsake it. You yield without any restraint. You give yourself over to another. I mean, this is the picture of what Christianity is all about. This is the picture of what we as believers ought to be about. This is what happens when we come to Christ, when we get saved. There ought to be a total abandonment of our life to Jesus. Jesus said, you must be willing to deny yourself, take up the cross daily, and follow me. I mean, Jesus was laying it on the line to those guys. I want to be priority number one in your life. I want to be at the center of your life. I don't want to be over to the side of your life. So I'm the true vine. Now, let me just caution all of us here In this day and age in which we're living, there's always going to be something or someone calling you to make them or that the number one priority in your life. And above all, that that someone or something would replace Jesus. When I was thinking about that this week, it reminded me of the song written many years ago, God Don't Play Second Fiddle. In fact, God doesn't play first fiddle. Why? Because he's not a player. He's the conductor. He's the conductor of the symphony of your life. Just take a minute and think about it. What did the devil encourage Eve to make as her number one priority? Herself, her thinking over what God said. Where did that get God? Pushed over to the side? Not at the center, not priority number one? And she got in a mess. And we've been the recipients of that mess ever since. And then my mind went back to the question of what did God write down and give to Moses to tell the people not to put as a priority in their lives? Do you remember what God told Moses? Tell the people not to put this as a priority in their lives. This was given to them right after they came out of Egypt, headed toward the Promised Land. If you want to look it up, it's Exodus chapter 20 and verse 2. Well, let's start in verse 1. And God spoke all these words, saying, I am the Lord your God. I'm the one who brought you out of the land of Egypt. I'm the one who brought you out of the house of bondage. I'll tell you what, when you read those words right there, we are almost stopped in our tracks because we hear ourselves saying so much of the time, I did this, I did that, I'm responsible for this. And the Lord saying, wait a minute, I am the Lord your God. I'm the one who brought you out of the house of bondage, out of the land of Egypt. In fact, he wrote it down for Moses to take it down and read it to the people. The very first thing he said to them was, you shall have no other gods before me. God was saying to the people, I don't want you to share your life with anyone else or anything else but me. Now, someone's going to be thinking this thought, hey, Mark, is that still in effect for today, that commandment? Well, our problem today is that we have taken the Lord's commandments and we have added on to them our own amendments. No, not many people still believe those words are timely for our lives today. I mean, we've been duped into believing that God has somehow changed since way back then, and now he has become more lenient, that God's become more tolerant, God's become more permissive. And so we've changed the commandments around to fit our lifestyle. Now, somebody's going to say, well, Mark, what difference does it make if people want to live like that? What difference? It'll make all the difference in the world when people choose to live like that because one day they'll have to stand before God whom they'll not even know. God says, no one before me. Jesus was saying to these guys, hey, I'm the true vine. You don't need anyone else. My heart was drawn back this week to the words of a song that says, turn your eyes upon Jesus. Look full in his wonderful face and the things of this earth will grow strangely dim. In the light of his glory and grace. You look around the world today, every morning you get up, there are spotlights that have been turned on so many situations all around the world, even as we have slept at night. And our minds are called to go to those different spotlights and see what's happening in countries, in governments, in people's personal lives. And it turns our attention toward those things. Jesus was saying to those disciples, he's saying to us as his disciples, I'm the true vine, you don't need all this other stuff. Now remember when Jesus said he was the true vine, he also reminded us in verse 5 of John 15 that we're the branches. What's that teaching us? It's teaching us that true life comes from the vine to the branches. It's never the other way around. You never hear Jesus saying, hey guys, I'm just the vine, but you're the branches. No, we're not the ones emphasized. I just encourage you today, allow Jesus to affirm to your life that he really is the true vine. He wants to be everything to our lives. He wants to mean everything to our lives. I mean, when we look at Jesus as being the true vine, that doesn't mean that he's just something to see on the outside, no. As the true vine, it's someone to be experienced on the inside. And because we know that the vine is responsible for producing fruit, we also know that we as the branches need someone to oversee our lives. Now this was already totally thought out and decided An eternity passed before Jesus ever said these words. What a plan. He told us, I'm the true vine. Then he turns around and he says, and my father, he's the vine dresser. Now, we covered this last week about the father being the vine dresser. But please know that this truth concerning your heavenly father, it ought to give you great confidence and great comfort to know that your heavenly father is watching over your life as one of the branches. Every believer is a branch. And if you just go back and trace the impact That the Father had on the life of Jesus. That life that became flesh. Sometimes referred to as the man. While he was here on earth, from start to finish, that father-son relationship. Just amazing. And now Jesus is telling these disciples that he was entrusting his Father for the oversight and the care of their lives. Well, guess what? The same Heavenly Father that many years ago Oversaw the lives of these disciples. He's overseeing your life today. He's caring for your life today. I mean, think about it. Who has the greatest plan laid out for your life? Who knows you better than anyone else around? The Father. Why? Because he's responsible for you. How do we know that? Jesus told us he's the vine dresser. So let me ask you today, would you rather live dependent on the Father as the vine dresser or would you rather live independent of him? You see, as the vine dresser, as the overseer, your Heavenly Father has a vested interest in your life. He doesn't have a passive attitude toward you. No, He has a vested interest in you. His love, His heart, His ways, His thoughts toward you really exceed any of our understanding of how deep and how passionate He really is about you. So then you come to the words of Jesus in verse 2, and He tells us how He and the Father are related when it comes to us as the branches. Verse two, every branch in me. Now this is where it gets personal. This is where Jesus is defining those whose lives are, as he said, in me. Now none of us get to define those two words in me because Jesus had already decided what those words meant. He would never have asked for our help anyway in this particular area. All he wants from us is our obedience. Now, think of the question, every branch in me, where does a branch come from? Now, we're talking about the vine and the branches. Where do the branches come from? They come from the vine. It's not the branches first and the vine second. It's the vine first and the branches second. So why have branches? The reason Jesus gave us this word picture of him being the vine and we being the branches is to show us that his desire is to produce fruit through the branches. All the life comes from him into us. When you think about it, a branch, that's a description of your life and my life. We as branches, we have no value on our own unless we're attached to the vine. Have you ever seen a branch grow without being attached to a vine? Have you ever seen a branch on a tree grow without being attached to the tree itself? Doesn't happen. I mean, if you think of it, without the vine, there are no branches. That's why Jesus said in verse 5, without me, you can't do anything. You take me away without me? You try to live your life as a believer without me? You can't do anything. Your life is hopeless. Now, I know from time to time we get ahead of the Lord. We get tired of waiting on him, and we're going to fix a problem. We're going to change this situation. We're going to get results because we're tired of waiting. Listen to what Jesus said. Without me, you can do absolutely nothing. So if you're a branch I'm a branch. Are you a branch? If you're a believer, a follower of Christ, you are. So since we're branches, I think we need to know why we exist. What's the purpose of a branch? What's the purpose of yours and my life being plugged into, attached to, as Jesus said in me, what's the purpose of me being in Jesus? Once again, the Lord was good in my learning time, and he brought me across these words. I pray this gives clarity to why you exist. If you're saved in Christ, you're a branch. Listen to what these words say. The branch has but one object for which it exists, one purpose to which it is entirely given up. That is to bear the fruit the vine wishes to bring forth. So you and I have one primary reason for existing. As believers on this earth, one reason that the heavenly vine may through us bring forth his fruit. And happy is the soul that knows this, that has consented to this, and that says, I have been redeemed and I'm living for one thing, to bring forth fruit. So knowing that, I have wholly given myself to bear the fruit the vine desires to bring forth through my life. That changed in my life the whole understanding of why I am still existing. For Jesus to bring forth fruit through my life. I'm the extension through which the fruit is born. Now you think about it. When you see a plant that has a vine and branches coming forth from that vine, you don't stand around and say, oh, what beautiful branches. No, you say, what a beautiful vine that is that the branches are coming forth and bearing fruit. It's all about the vine. It's never about the branches. Don't get your feelings hurt. We don't stand in line to get praise and glory. I love Paul's words, God forbid that I should glory, except in the cross of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. I'm sharing with you today that the safest place for you to be is in Jesus' words in me, or as it says in the letters of the New Testament, to be in Christ, because this is the identity that Jesus has for you and Jesus has for me. You say, Mark, what's my identity? Well, let's look at the word identity. An identity is that which distinguishes who you are. Your identity verifies who you are. Your identity proves who you are. These individual characteristics in your life, that's how you're recognized. And everybody has to carry identity wherever they go. Well, guess what? That's an earthly identity we're talking about. There is something called a heavenly identity that is more important than your earthly identity. This matter of being in me, according to Jesus. Think about it. Think of the personal words. Jesus is talking about you. Every branch in me. In me, in Christ, think about it. It works both ways. But God made the first move, not us. You see, my identity is in Christ because of who he says I am. I didn't get to make that up. I didn't get saved one day and say, let's see, Mark, come up with a phrase that will describe who you are. No. I just opened the Bible and started reading, and I read it verse after verse after verse after verse, a hundred times in the New Testament at least. It talks about being, for the believer, you're in Christ. I didn't read anywhere in the Bible where it gave me a denominational title to be known as. So, your identity in me, according to Jesus. Now, if Jesus does not say that about you, you can't say it about yourself until he says it about you. If you try and do that, you know what that leaves you to be? An imposter. A person who practices deception under an assumed identity. That means we're fakes and frauds and pretenders. But once he says that about you and affirms that to you, then you're free to live like it. I'm in Christ. You're free to think like that. I'm in Christ. You're free to act like that. I'm in Christ. That's your most important identity. Or as one of the songs that my two granddaughters love to sing together, I am who I am because the I am tells me who I am. Let me say that one more time. I am who I am because the I am, the vine, tells me who I am. Now, here's the biggest question that came up to me about identity this past week. If Jesus gives you your identity and he says, yes, he's in me, she's in me. If Jesus gives you your identity, will you in turn identify with him? How can we be believers and act like that we're not identified with Jesus? Sometimes I think it would be shocking for some people to find out that a person is a believer, a follower of Christ, because they keep it to themselves. They'll tell you that's just a personal thing between me and the Lord. Really? Paul made the declaration all throughout his letters in speaking to the entire church body of different cities where he had preached in or where he had written to to share the gospel, you're in Christ. So think now about the responsibility that the Father has for you. Every branch in me that does not bear fruit, my Father lifts up. If you've got the words there, take away, you need to go back and listen to last week's podcast. We got clarity from understanding the original meaning of that word. The Father lifts up, and every branch that does bear fruit, He prunes, He cleanses that it may bear more fruit. I'd never thought about this verse before like this, because... I never heard these verses in my growing up years dealt with that I can ever remember. But as I'm reading here in these verses, Jesus said that the Father's responsibility was for every branch that was in Jesus. That his responsibility, the Heavenly Father's responsibility, is to oversee your life and work in you and work with you and work on you to help you and to enable you to bring forth fruit. But don't stop there. The Father is not out just to help you, enable you to bring forth fruit, but He's also there to help you bring forth more fruit. And if you keep reading in John chapter 15, He's there to help you bring forth in your life much fruit. And you've got to understand where the Father is coming from. He knows you inside and out. He's constantly watching over you, observing every move in your life, examining you. He knows anything and everything that ever goes on in your life. And guess what? He has a purpose for your life. He knows where you are today. And He knows where He wants to take you to. And that's why it says there in verse 2, He lifts up, but He also prunes or cleanses that you may bear fruit, or that you may bear more fruit, or better than that, that you may bear much fruit. You see, your Father, your Heavenly Father is in the lifting business. Again, if you'll go back to last week, we found out that grapes don't grow good when they're sitting on the ground because that's where the disease and the fungus is. So the Father lifts your life out of that. So he's in the lifting business, but he's also in the pruning business, the cleansing business, the purging business of that which prohibits any growth, any maturity, any fruit bearing in your life. He's out to remove anything out of your life that keeps you from growing, maturing, and bearing fruit. I mean, sometimes in our own lives, we're stuck and we don't even know it. The Father is going to be constantly working in your life until you're called home to heaven to clean out and clean away anything that is cluttering your life from being effective for Jesus. And by the way, pruning and cleansing and purging, they're not limited just to one method. Think about it. Sometimes God will call you. Let me say that one more time. Sometimes God will call you. Because he has something to say to you. He'll do anything to get your attention. Don't ever be surprised what God might use to get your attention. Don't ever be surprised about what God might do to get your attention. Why is he doing that? Because that's how much he loves you. And guess what? He would like the same love back directed toward him from us. So God sometimes calls you. When he's pruning, cleaning, purging, sometimes God convicts you. He'll take the Word of God and use it to convict you. Listen, God has a lot of ways to get his Word before us. It might be the Word itself. When you open the Word of God and he's at work in your life revealing things to you. Sometimes you read the Word of God and God begins to deal with your heart about something. And you almost find yourself saying, how did he know about that? And then you find yourself saying, oh, I'm sorry, you know everything. And he does. It could be that God uses a billboard or a digital sign somewhere. I cannot tell you over the years how many places I've been driving and I've seen the Word of God up on some billboard going down the highway. A scripture up there on that sign that spoke to my heart. You've been there. You wonder... Why is that verse of scripture up there? Oh, I see. Because the Lord begins to remind you with what's up there about something in your life. You might see it used in an ad on TV. You might see the Word of God come through your inbox with an email you might get. Someone might send you a text that has the Word of God in it. I'm still seeing yard signs where the Word of God is printed on a yard sign. Back from the COVID eras. You might hear about the Word of God through a song. You might hear the Word of God as it's sung and put to music. Now, hang on to the last thing I'm going to share with you. You might see the Word of God in a restroom when you're out somewhere in public. You say, what in the world are you talking about? I never see the Word of God in a restroom. Well, let me share something with you. For a number of years now in my life, I have gone to the dermatologist for yearly and sometime twice a year checkups. I've I was exposed to a lot of sun, like many of you were growing up, and it has affected my skin. And I learned a long time ago, if I sense something's coming up, go get it looked at. Don't put it off. Don't think I'm going to pray it'll go away. Go to your doctor and let him or her look at it. Well, several weeks ago, I was at the dermatology office. I was headed over to get a skin cancer cut off on the top of my hand. My biopsy was done, and I got the call, you need to come and let the doctor cut it out. While I was waiting on them to call me back, I told my wife, I'm going to step into the restroom just for a moment. Now, anytime you hear the word cancer, your mind starts dancing. And that morning, I went into the restroom and closed the door. And you're not going to believe what was on the wall framed in that restroom. There was a picture hanging on the wall, a little bird sitting on the doorknob of some door that was on the outside of a building out in the country somewhere. And this scripture was there that morning. He will cover you with his feathers, and under his wings you will find refuge. Under his wings you will trust. Psalm 91.4. The Lord knew that door I was about to walk through. The Lord knew that chair I was about to sit in and the Lord knew that scalpel that was about to cut that skin cancer out on the top of my hand but I'm like every other human being I want to see it come out and I want all of it gotten out and I want a good report and you'll never convince me otherwise but that God in those minutes needs to get my attention and remind me I've got this I'm gonna cover you with my feathers and rest under my wings because that's where you find refuge. That's where you can trust in me. I'm just sharing with you that the vine dresser, your heavenly father, sometimes will convict you through the word, and he has a lot of ways of getting his word before you. And I have learned over the years now that when I see the word anywhere, I am in constant prayer that I will say, Lord, are you speaking to me in my heart about something through this word that you have put before me? The last thing I'd share with you is that sometimes God not only calls you and convicts you, but sometimes God even has to chasten you. Sometimes God has to discipline us to get our attention. And if you've never understood about the discipline of God, I would encourage you to go to Hebrews chapter 12 and start in verse 5 and go all the way over to verse eleven, and if you're one of those that says, "Well, I don't like discipline from God. I don't like for God to chasten me. I don't like for God to have to deal with me like that." Verse eleven says, "Now, no chastening seems to be joyful for the present, but it seems to be painful. Nevertheless, afterward, it yields the peaceable fruit of righteousness to those who have been trained by it." Now, you might be tempted to think when you hear that God is in the pruning business. Oh, anybody can prune things. My response is, oh, really? If you've not been trained in how to prune something, you might go out to start your own way of pruning. But if you're not careful, you could do some real damage to a plant, a shrub, a tree, or even a person's life. You see, I'm glad that my life as a branch is under the watchful eye of my Heavenly Father. Aren't you? Because if you want someone pruning your life, you want someone who knows exactly where to cut. You want someone who knows how much to cut. And you want someone who knows what angle to make the cut. Because the purpose behind pruning is to promote growth, not to damage what you're cutting, but to promote growth. Now, sometimes cuts that are made, whether you're pruning shrubbery or pruning a place on a person's body of something that needs to be cut out or something in your heart that God deals with, sometimes cuts that are made, they heal in such a way that you can't ever see them. In other times, when pruning takes place, other times there might be a little bit of a scar left. Now, I know in our day and age, we are very conscious of scars. But I want to remind you something. If something has happened in your life and the Heavenly Father did what it took to get you out of what you were going through because he saw value and hope and a purpose in your life and he wanted to bring you back to where your life would start growing again and producing fruit, if there's a small scar there, scars aren't all that bad. Why? Because sometimes scars are a great reminder. Why? Because sometimes, scars tell a story. And lest you think that's all wrong, remember, there's a person who lives in heaven, who gave his life for your sin. His name is Jesus. And Jesus, when we all get to heaven, you'll see, he has scars. I mean, after he was resurrected, his disciples said, prove to me, it's really you. And he showed him. His scars. Now you might think, I don't think it's right that Jesus would still have scars in heaven. Can I just share with you, I was thinking about that today. I'm not bothered by that. Because throughout all eternity, when we're looking at Jesus, those scars that he has will remind us we would never be in that heavenly home were it not for his scars. Scars tell a story. I don't know about you, but I am grateful for the true vine who is Jesus, and I am grateful for the vine dresser, our Heavenly Father, who knows us inside and out, and who's on the move in our lives, that we might, to the honor and the glory of Jesus Christ, be branches that are linked to the vine that brings forth fruit to His honor. To his glory. Praise God. From whom all blessings flow. Praise him today. Be thankful. And bless his name. Thank you Lord. For your goodness and your mercy. Thank you Jesus that you are the true vine. And you call us branches. That are linked to you. Through your everlasting love for us and through the gift of eternal life. And thank you, Heavenly Father, for taking care of us with a heart that loves us with an everlasting love. And being that one who desires that our lives bear fruit, more fruit, and much fruit until we are called home to heaven. And we pray this in the name of Jesus. Amen.
0: You've been listening to There Is a Hope, featuring the Bible teaching ministry of Dr. Mark Howard, pastor of Christ Community Church in Bells, Tennessee. You can hear Dr. Howard every week right here on this podcast, where he'll be sharing a new message from God's Word that centers in the hope that you can find for your daily life in Jesus Christ. Should you have any questions about today's program or desire to share any prayer needs so that someone might pray for you this week, you may write us at There Is a Hope, P.O. Box 610, Bells, Tennessee 38006. Or you may contact us by email at There Is a Hope at cccbells.net. And above all, it's our prayer that you remember that regardless of what you're facing in life today, there has been, there is, and there always will be a hope in Jesus.